Ciao, listeners. Welcome to the new episode of the Euro Football Verdicts. In today's episode, we're going to discuss what is happening again with Messi. Is he in? Is he out? Or is he just the world's most expensive hostage? Afterwards, we're going to see how the carousel goes round and round for Jorge Mendes with the influx of Portuguese players in the European market and also South Americans, how the super agent keeps hold of European football power. And finally, in today's club on trial, we're going to see AS Roma. What happened with the team? Why was it sold for almost 600 million euros? And was this reign of James Palota a successful one? This and more in today's Euro Football Verdicts. Hi guys, welcome to our new episode of the Euro Football Verdicts. Today we have a really big episode ahead of us. We're going to cover three very interesting topics, but this was only possible with the help of my co-hosts, Marco. Hi Marco. Hello everyone. And also Steph. How's it going, Steph? All good, man. What's up? Really cool, guys. So... Let's kick off today's episode with where we started last time. We have some news out of Barcelona, right, Steph? We do have some news indeed, Alex. Uh, and uh, once again, uh, yet another plot twist in the beautiful city of Barcelona. We are kind of getting used to those, right? And uh, apparently, after having been on the verge of quitting Barcelona for good, uh, with at least uh, two or three clubs on his tail, uh, Lionel Messi publicly declared that he will stay at Barca for the season and intended that he will leave it uh, next year anyway. So uh, last episode, we were talking about uh, Messi's likely divorce with Barca. And this time he did not divorce. But uh, I think we have one of those situations in which they are uh, almost separated in, in home. And my uh, first and main point about this segment of the podcast is going to be about uh, what's going to happen for next season between uh, Messi and, and Barcelona. And uh, I would start with the situation with the management and President uh, Bartomeu especially, because this situation could not be worse than this. Uh, in an interview uh, a couple of days ago, Messi stated that he wanted to leave Barcelona to compete at the highest level and win titles and compete in the Champions League. Because the Champions League, you can win it or lose it, and there's no way to know, but uh, uh, you have to compete. And so he uh, almost uh, in, he implied that uh, he, by staying at Barcelona, he won't be able to compete for the title. And uh, he also, speaking about Bartomeu, he said that the president has been a disaster for Barca. So the situation could, couldn't really be more tense between them. Uh, Alex, what do you think is going to happen between uh, Barca's management and, uh, and Messi? Well, I mean, I think until March, Nothing will happen within uh, Bartomeu and Messi for sure, because then they're going to have elections. And uh, if the um, candidate that is now leading the polls, Victor Font, um, takes uh, the reins at Barcelona, I think you'll see um, them getting closer, the two positions. Eventually, my opinion, honestly, is they will get to an agreement in a renewal. Should Bartomeu, for some miracle, be able to survive yet again, I think we're going to see uh, we're going to see the saga continue uh, during the year because um, with Bartomeu Messi will not stay for sure. That is a hundred percent clear on uh, on all fronts. And I mean, right now he looks like an expensive hostage situation. Basically, um, he he said he's going to leave, but I'm not now a hundred percent sure he will if there is a change of uh, president. That's very true, Alex. But if we want to want to look at the other side of the coin, right? What was Bartolomeo supposed to do? He was really in a corner for, for very good reasons, right? Like he made wrong decision. He didn't allow, he didn't make sure that there was a good atmosphere at Barcelona. So he's paying the consequences of his actions for sure. However, he was in a very tough position. On one hand, he either would have been remembered as the worst president because he let go Messi for free, or he would have to force these, um, like putting in prison almost Messi, like 
telling him either you bring 700 million or you stay at Barcelona because you do have a contract in place and having a very unhappy Messi, however, to some extent saving his face. I think it's a very tough position and I'm not sure which of the two was the better option, but it's also good to think about the other side, right? We talk about how Messi wanted to leave and how he should have left to some extent because he's not motivated or not as motivated as he could have been and, and was over the past couple of years. But at the same time, what was the president supposed to do? Yeah, indeed, in these very type of situations, we usually uh, might think that there's the villain and the good guy, but it's never like this. You know, we have conflicting, conflicting interests and, uh, and that's what we, we have to, to, to balance. But the problem is that uh, it's not only with Bartomeu that the conflict uh, is growing, but uh, also the dressing room situations must be really bad now because uh, in his most recent interview, Messi mentioned the existence in the team of some false friends. And uh, it has to be said that uh, uh, most of Barca's players have been rather silent about the whole situation. Uh, the only ones who took uh, explicitly Messi's sides uh, were uh, Suarez and Vidal, but both players are uh, going to leave anyway, Suarez possibly to Juventus and Vidal most likely to, to Inter Milan to, to join Conte once again. And uh, uh, there were no words from uh, old senators Piquet and Ter Stegen. Uh, there were only barbs from, uh, from uh, Rakitic, who made it pretty clear that uh, he was forced to leave Barca due to not being appreciated by Messi's inner circle. And then, of course, we have the players who, never, uh, who Messi never really liked uh, playing with anyway meaning Griezmann and Dembélé, who are going to be uh, most likely going to be uh, launched by a new, new coach, Kuman. And so uh, it does feel like an explosive uh, dressing room situation, right, guys? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's past the point. Let's be honest, this whole season of Barca now, it's, it's a powder keg. It will explode at any moment, you know. If they start having a couple of bad results, it's already fractured the locker room, uh, you have uh, one side Messi and Co, the other side uh, the Kuman and the other. So it's a powder cake. This season is dead before it starts. It's really weird to say this because they haven't even started the league. But we can already know that if anything bad happens at Barca, any bad results, this ruptures they will show again. And this is us assuming that Messi will go back, and I, I honestly, I assume this, will go back and play as a Messi, you know, and still do the 40 goals a year. How is his motivation even after this, you know? He's basically, uh, I'm defending now his side in that sense. He's basically playing under duress. He doesn't want to be there, but he still has to be there. So I'm playing devil's advocate in this case because I have another opinion, but in this case, he will always have the blame if something happens and Barca season is shit, is because of this messy situation. On that sense, Kuman has less pressure, but the issue is Kuman either way is going to get fired in March. So um, honestly, it's it's a definition of a powder keg, and it will go ape shit. Yeah, I'm afraid you you're most likely right, Alex, on on this. And uh, if the situation with Bartomeu and in the dressing room were not enough, I think we have just another factor to, to ponder, which is the situation with, with Barca supporters. Because, I mean, something must have broken with Barca supporters. They now know that Messi was going to leave, that uh, if he stayed, it was not for his love to Barca, but because he was somehow forced to. And, uh, you know, Messi has been Barca supporters' idol for, for so many years. So many years they saw him winning, playing incredibly good, being possibly the best player in the world. And now uh, it's, it, it can't be like it used to be anymore. Right, Marco? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen this with often in football, right? Like the best player, the, the idol of the fans, the, the, the symbol of a club. Uh, at a certain point, getting so much power and being so influential, that feels like he owns the club and he should make decisions. Uh, and I think that's what Messi really wants still in this moment in time. He doesn't like what has happened with the new president. He doesn't like Bartolomeo. He made it quite clear in multiple interviews about the fact that there is no fit between the two, uh, if you want to put it this way. 
however, it's also about how the club should be managed. And I personally, I still think that that should be, you know, a line drawn where a player should be professional and play football without making decision about the club because his role is playing football. It's not about deciding who the manager is going to be. It's not about deciding who the sporting director is going to be. For that, there's the management indeed. There is the president. There, is, there are people in the club that should make the decision for the players. It's as if in a company, a clerk, an employee, whatever, whatever makes decision of who's going to be the CIO, CEO, CFO, whatever. It, it, it doesn't work like that. There is someone else that makes those decisions, and that's the board of director, and they decide on who should be leading the company. Your role as an employee, your role as a player, is to do your job on the pitch. The same way someone in a company does his work on the laptop or, or, or sales products. It's the same. To be honest, I, I, I don't really get how influential he could get, and I think that's where the whole problem comes. He wants to decide things, but he's a player. Uh, no matter which president that you put, that wants to force decision on the club, which he should, he won't be happy with that. Yeah, no, for me, I agree with Marco's position on this one. Um, his power is extravagant. I mean, he's now come to a point, you know, yes, he used to, hire, he used to have influence and opinion on the players hired. Then he went on to having an opinion on managers. And now he's um, having an opinion on presidents, you know, on actual, you know, they're his own bosses. Um, I agree with Marco, but I think another point of this story for me, and the only thing, uh, it was a very emotional interview that he gave to gold.com and all of that. But let's be honest, for me, one sentence that said really, really wrong with me. And I was someone who said, you know, Messi, he can want to leave. And he even, I'm always okay with him bringing Barca to court. I did not, I was not 100% shocked, maybe because I'm a sporting su supporter and I'm used to uh, a lot of uh, our players sending us to court. But um, in the way of what really shocked me now is him coming and saying, uh, I, never I was never thinking of bringing Barca to court. That line for me was one step uh, too far because I don't believe that line. Otherwise, he would not have sent the bureau fax because that was to make sure, you know, it would hold up in court. He would also have gone to training because, you know, he sent the bureau fax saying he is now uh, no longer contact contractually linked to Barcelona. So technically, you know, if you keep that pos legal position, then you cannot go training. So that I understand. So the thing is, what he's saying, he didn't want to take Barca to court. I think it's complete bullshit. I honestly think he wanted to take Barca to court. What has changed from Friday morning, even his dad was saying, we don't accept the league's position on the 700 million release clause to the afternoon to buy, uh, Messi's interview was that his uh, lawyer's team probably said, look, it won't be solved before the season starts. The transfer market will be closed. You won't have a club, even if you succeed in leaving it legally, the club. So, you might stay a couple of months without playing or worst case scenario, you lose it and you really have to pay an amazing fee. Will, will City, maybe not the 700, but would City pay 200 million to have Messi? Probably not. For a 33, 34 year old, it's a lot of money. So that's the only thing that sits wrong with me is him saying he was not ready to take Barca to court and he would never do that. I think that's pure bullshit. I think he was just trying to save his persona with a Barcelona fan. Like, I agree. The, the reason why he didn't want to bring Barca to court is because he was expecting Barca to let him go for free. So that he would, you know, exit as the victim of this poor Barcelona's management. He would be like, oh, guys, I tried, but I can't really stand this situation. Uh, I need to try something else. Bringing it to court would have been confirming Messi being the villain. And he doesn't want that. He wants to exit this situation as the victim and the good guy. 
Guys, I'll go even, even further and uh, create one of those matrix style situations. Take, take up the blue pill or the red pill. Uh, let's hear the conspiracy theory. What is Messi never wanted to leave Barcelona? And this was yet another house of cards style play by him. After all, we know that he could have exercised his rights under the contract to unilaterally terminate the contract uh, before the 1st of June, but he did not. And it can, can't be just about the, uh, their very bad loss against Bayern Munich, because uh, there were already so many issues uh, before between Messi and Barcelona. So uh, why did he not exercise his right to terminate the contract? What's the point in that? To be honest, that's a very good a very good point. I think it really depends on how you look at this whole situation, right? Um, on one hand, saying in June that he wanted to leave would have strongly affected the Barcelona situation. I'm, I'm pretty sure that a player such as Messi, that, that even if he really were to decide to leave a club, he would have liked to leave it with a cup in the hand. Like, you know, with the glory and, 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 and being the carry of the team and showing how important he was for the team and then he leaves knowing that there is a complex situation there is a new cycle that has to begin and thus that also means most likely no trophies next year for instance but that would furthermore glorify him as the one of the gods of football of, of our our days so that is possibly one reason on the other hand again if you read many comments looks like there was some kind of already notification from Messi that he wanted to leave and the fact that he didn't pull that close might mean many things like Messi right now it's arguing that he did talk to Bartolomeo and Bartolomeo mentioned yeah let's see the end of the season let's decide later possibly that is true possibly not we'll never have you know the proof of that but it, it, it's, it's a very good point he had a way out he didn't use it uh, there are many options there of the reason why but none of them feels like the absolute, uh, how can I say, the, the, the most likely option, right? That there is not one that you say, oh, it's for this very reason. I think it's a very complex situation. There's not, not a single point to, to look at. Indeed, it is a very complex situation, Marco. And uh, so our uh, main question will be, uh, what is Messi? Is he the victim of the situation or is he the mastermind, the for the chess player of the situation. But, but we are not going to, to answer this because uh, we'll leave it to you guys. And uh, now we have other topics to discuss, I believe. Yeah, and from one complex situation to another complex situation, let's take a look at the carousel of the, our amazing friend, George Mendes, and what his impact has on European football. Hi guys, welcome back to part two of our Euro Football Verdicts. And now in part two, we're going to discuss Jorge Mendes, the most influential Portuguese, uh, or one of the most influential persons in, in the European game, for sure. So Jorge Mendes, you know, he's from Lisbon. He was a video club owner in a small northern city in, above Porto, in Viana. And from then on, he became now one of the masterminds behind European football. If you think Messi is the owner of what happens in Barcelona, Jorge Mendes controls half of, of European football, for sure, and has half of the presidents and CEOs in his pocket. So he's basically set up a company called Gestifoot, and he's now in charge of most of the biggest players in the world. He came along first with the um, transfer of Nuno Espirito Santo, the current uh, Wolves manager from Vitoria de Guimarães to Deportivo La Coruña, when Depor was one of the biggest teams in Spain in the end of the 90s. And eventually he got uh, his rise with Mourinho and all the Portuguese players, having masterminded the numerous transfers from that uh, Porto winning side and also Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester United. His current players are the following. If you were to put this in an 11, let's think about this 11, guys, for a second. Goalkeeper Ederson, back four of Gulam from Napoli, Otamendi, Ruben Diaz, and Cancelo. 
midfield with Fabinho, Ruben Neves, and James. And above, in the front, Di Maria, Ronaldo, and Bernardo Silva. Also on the bench, you'd have players like Guedes, Jimenez, Semedo. It's an amazing team, actually, if you think about it. This guy plays every major role in most clubs in Western Europe, especially England, Spain, Italy, a bit through Lazio, France, and Portugal. He has an amazing network, perhaps outside of the Netherlands, which is controlled by Raiola for sure, and Italy also mostly controlled by Raiola and Germany. He, this guy has his hands in all the pots. So, guys, my question to you is, is, have we seen now Jorge Mendes' power being too extreme? Do you think football agents have now surpassed the limit in terms of, of deciding which player goes where? Yes. Definitely, yes. I think it's absurd seeing how people that should make the players' interests are actually affecting so much the dynamics of European football. Like Wolves, who by many, possibly in the next season, are even seen above Arsenal and Tottenham uh, in the Premier League, is one of the... change the name by, to Lobos, you know, since they're mostly Portuguese now. Makes precisely. Makes no sense to call him Wolves. Precisely, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's a creature that it's fully made by, by Mendes' transfers. And when you look at that, you realize how much influence he has in, in the glory and in the despair of a club. We did see very good season and very good transfer, which, to be honest, many were looked at in the beginning as how on earth can a player so young be paid 25 million, which usually is the Sundar Mendes price. And in the end, turn up becoming quite good. But sometimes we also saw the players that indeed didn't turn up good and you still had to take the burden of them because Mendes make, made you uh, a profit with another player. So it, it's, it's really a game of exchanging cards. I'll give you a good card and a shitty card. But as you want the good, please get also the shitty card. So can we argue he's not making the player's interest? Not really. But is he making the player interest by affecting the clubs, absolutely. And I think that's wrong. Yeah, I totally back you up on this, Marco. And uh, I, I, I do think it has gone too far. Uh, so many times nowadays, you see even the, the biggest clubs uh, in Europe uh, being on their knees uh, in front of, of Mendes, asking for players, for uh, good conditions, and for all of that. His power is so strong. And uh, um, of course, uh, he does what is convenient to him. But as a football fan, I, I don't think that you, ha you can be happy about this situation because in the, in the long term, in the long run, I think that uh, badly affects uh, every club's possibility to, uh, to hire good players and have uh, honest conditions, financial conditions. And uh, that must have an impact on the, on the actual uh, football and on the matches, right, guys? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree 100%. This topic, honestly, Mendes for, for us, if, if you look actually... From his player's perspective, I would argue currently Raiola has a better even client portfolio of, of players. When I look at it, honestly, Raiola has an amazing one. There's a slight difference. Is club, uh, Mendes does not have player clients anymore. He has club clients. In the sense, there was even a joke yesterday in the Portuguese media when we saw Fabio Silva, which is a kid, a 17-year-old kid, or 18-year-old, he, he played a couple of times for Porto, now leave for 40 millions to Wolves. It was a joke, you know, uh, Wolves get his man, get their man by fending off interest from Atletico Madrid, Monaco, Lazio, Lille, all the, 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 these teams, you know. It was, it was a joke that of the Mendes carousel of teams, he always gets his player to move within that carousel and makes the money. If you look at examples, Falcão, who went from Porto to Atletico, Monaco, uh, Jota, who now is at Wolves, went to Atletico and Porto. Uh, you, you have, he does not even transfer the players he's, um, he's contractually linked to. He authorizes the transfer of other players he has nothing to do with. He's a broker of deals. For instance, Bruno Fernandes 
when he went to to um, to Manchester United, it was because he brokered the deal and he was not even the agent of the player. And now the Fabio Silva situation when him went to, going to Wolves, he's not going for 40 million, let's be honest here. I mean, he will cash-wise, yes, but Porto was in dire need of, of money. So they got a solution for Fabio Silva by sending 40 million uh, to the way of Porto. But I can guarantee you one thing, Porto will have to take one or two players that they don't really want right now, maybe even from a family camp or something, because the money needs to go around the carousel. Let me make a question here to both of you. Is this happening because the directors of football are no longer scouting the players, are no longer capable of taking the decision by themselves? Because I'm seeing more and more weak directors fully relying on this agent to decide who to buy and whom to sell. I'll give you a very good example from the, from the islands, from, from Arsenal. Arsenal just fired almost half of its scouting network because they don't need it anymore. Simply, they are going to have Kia uh, Jorabchan, I have a problem pronouncing that name, getting the players for them. So that's why you see an influx in Brazilians, for instance. Now with Gabriel and, and David Luiz now there and others to come, like William already arrived, because now they say they prefer to do partnership directly with this, with this agent to deliver the players. Benfica did the same with Mendes. And the president just said, okay, uh, we don't have an issue with, um, with having that because Mendes gets 10% of any deal, but he's like our sporting director and he's going to buy the players he needs. Yeah, and indeed, as an AC Milan supporter, uh, we had this episode a few years ago in which we hired uh, Andre Silva, who, uh, who's also Portuguese and also managed by, by Jorge Mendes. And uh, uh, we paid him, I believe, around uh, 35 millions, which, uh, of course, I mean, I'm not going to say, I'm not saying that he's not a good player, but uh, that did feel a bit uh, uh, overestimated in his regard. And a couple of years later, the, the press came out and by saying that uh, uh, paying Andre Silva that amount of money was probably due to some promise that uh, AC Milan might be hiring uh, Cristiano Ronaldo in the same season, which of course they, he, they did not. And, uh, you know, in this very situation, you see those uh, power plays by these uh, very, very strong, uh, strong managers such as uh, Mendes. Yeah, but to be honest, also when you look at Raiola, again, one of the masterminds of European football with, uh, with Gia um, and, and, and Mendes, the, the, the whole Donnarumma situation where they, in order to renew the contract for Donnarumma, this amazing 80 years old goalie, they had to pay one million to the brother, hire him as a third goalie, a player that has never played in the second league either, one million a year. Why? Just because to, they needed to get a new contract to Donnarumma. Yes, Marco, but still Antonio Donnarumma is undefeated now currently. Never got any, any goals in a professional game, so... So maybe it was not a bad deal after all. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, uh, I think this, as we started the conversation, I think this has just gone too far with the players, uh, agents having too much power. If you look at the Wolves, don't look at Wolves, look at Valencia that we discussed in the last pod, what they happened when they hired Nuno Spiritu Santo. So season 14-15, they hired on loan from Benfica, Andre Gomes, Rodrigo, and João Cancelo, all of them on loan, some of them started for Benfica at the time, they purchased them the next year for 20, 30, and 15 million respectively. Then they also got Filipe Augusto from Marco's favorite team, Rio Ave, which, you know, he was, it's a middle-sized club and he goes on loan to Valencia. So this kind of stuff, okay, he didn't fit at Valencia, so what happens? Okay, he goes back to, to Rio Ave, but then you have to take Danilo, from Braga and also Aderlan Santos from Braga also to Valencia because this needs to, to, to add up. Every club gets the good players, like Marco said, but you also need to take some of the shit players. And, and that fits in this model perfectly. So that's why basically you see this Mendes uh, modus operandi is no longer about being only the agent of players. He's the sporting director or the football director 
of at least seven to eight clubs. And it's honestly a, a lot. So it's, it's a topic we will definitely come back to in the upcoming times. But um, from a sporting director of one club, let's talk about one club in specific in our next segment. And from Portugal, let's move to the Colosseum in Rome. Today, we're going to dissect what happened over the past, I would say, 10 years uh, in, for AS Roma. Was basically last month, the, today, Roma was sold from Palotta to Fretklin for 591 million euros. Uh, during this, this section, we're going to analyze what was the performance that Palotta allowed Roma to get, what was a little bit of the history of, of Roma over the past years, and really trying to decide whether he was a good or a bad president and why so. So let's start from the story. So what happened uh, between April and August 2011? Uh, Palotta, all together with Thomas Di Benedetto, who actually was the first president, but he then, after one year, left the role for for Palotta's benefit. He couldn't be close enough to the team. Uh, Michael Rune and Richard Amore bought Roma for 70 million, 7-0. At the time, many people were looking uh, at it as a quite reasonable price, quite fair. Uh, and 10 years after, we're almost looking at eight times more for 591 million euros. Now, a quick question to both of you. A, do you think that prices in football have raised so much with a logic? And B, do you think that many presidents over the past 20 years have only bought clubs, I would say American mostly, have only bought clubs to make profit and not really to see the, the club performance? Because I would like to start from, from that very point. No, I think, I think that second point, especially, it's the one you really touch very well. So there's a clear difference in terms of club owners. Uh, you know, you see the nation states, they don't really care about making profits. It's all about having that, um, that um, presence that people know them and exposing themselves as uh, being huge benefactors of the European game. Then you have uh, the others, who are locals and want the best for that team and maybe even lose money. But then the American system is, it's an NFL system in that way. It's there to, to make money. They're not there to lose money. So in that idea that they can leverage on uh, Roma more than a club, a city, I think that's also the, a big brand behind it, uh, that they can leverage on that and, and make money. And that for me, it's a classic American uh, style um, pursuit of clubs that it's there to, to be able to, to drive money. And now you see more and more Americans joining uh, Serie A, which is really interesting. It could be a way for it eventually to break into a very commercial appealing league because if all parties are aligned, they can make way more money. Yeah, and I think a, a very good example of that uh, comes from uh, Fiorentina's current president, uh, Rocco Comiso. Uh, we know that uh, he was very interested in buying AC Milan, even presented a formal offer. Uh, eventually, he, he could not because Milan went to Elliot in uh, what I must say was a very weird operation overall. But uh, regardless of that, uh, after that, so he bought uh, Fiorentina. And we know that uh, this is what Comiso does. He buys clubs which are... Uh, either uh, in a not so good financial situation, such Fiorentina was, or even going bankruptcy, such the New York Cosmos, the club he bought in the United States, was. And then he uh, improves their financial uh, strength. Uh, he uh, brings new money first, and then you know he makes the, the club being able to stand on, on its feet uh, again. So I believe that Comiso is a very good example of, of what we were trying to say, Alex. But yeah, either way, um, you know, even if it's just for a monetary benefit, what is at the end important for a fan, it's the sporting performance, how the club performs, how many titles they won, whether they did or did not have good players. But, so let's, let's quickly analyze what happened uh, for, 
for Palotta. When, when we really look at these 10 years, we do see four different uh, cycles, four different projects and, and ideas that they had for the team. Everything was starting with Baldini, a sporting director, really leading the club, which led with uh, Zeman and Andrea Soli as trainer, a not su very successful start of the Palotta career. We must say, however, that this was also one of the most important finals for the Roma fans, because during these years, uh, there was the final of the Coppa Italia, where Roma played Lazio for what ended up being the most important derby of the history, because it was the first and only derby that led to a trophy, with Lazio winning against Roma. However, when you also look at the players, basically over those two years, they had three good players, Lamela, Marquinhos and Pjanic, uh, but none of them really was, was outstanding and managed to change the team. At the end of the day, Marquinhos did a single year at Roma, Pjanic left for 35 million because they had a release clause that was quite low compared to the quality of the player. And Lamela left quite soon, I believe, after two seasons uh, to Tottenham as well. So they didn't really make a dent. So then Palotta realized something had to change and he brought in Sabatini. Uh, in my personal opinion, the best sporting director Roma had because he bought the likes of Benatia, Strootman, Nangolan, Manolas, Salah, Alisson, Dzeko, like very good player that, to be honest, really helped make the next step. And Rudy Garcia first and Spalletti afterwards managed to at least give a consistent challenge uh, to the title. Uh, often we were looking at Roma saying, well, they're the second, if not only, club that can challenge uh, Juventus. That was basically before the Napoli period. But again, at the end of the Sabatini-Spalletti, there was a very big problem. Uh, I would call it the Totti drama. Totti, similar to Messi, very influential player, very strong uh, personality, but also the, the icon of uh, AS Roma. He started at Zeus Roma as a kid when he was uh, a teenager. He ended his career after 40, uh, when he was 41, at, as a Roma player. So... The, his whole career in the same club. However, he still wanted to play yet another season. Uh, they gave him one that they didn't want really, but they gave him one last uh, where he was thrown in at the end of each game. And he was actually scoring. He scored, I believe, more than 10 goals that season, playing only the last 20 minutes and still showing that he's a quality player. And thus, he wanted to be renewed yet another season. And Roma said, we do not see you. As, as part of this club no more. We need to move forward. Of course, the fans didn't, didn't take it very well. And that was the beginning of the fall of Palotta, I would say. From that moment onwards, the love that they had and the hope that they had for the new American president really felt. And then Monchi with the Francesco Ranieri didn't really help. Many players were not the right ones that had, they have bought. And also this year with Petraki and Fonseca, uh, it, it, it just stayed as a mediocre high-level team, but never really got to the potential that Palotta wanted. So with, with all this changing over this past couple, uh, in, over these past 10 years, really, and all the players that have come and left, uh, many were good, many weren't. How do you really think a team such as Roma can... can look at a president that even brought any trophy despite the amount of money invested no basically what i need to to point out is the monchi era is the only one where i would say it's probably the happiest it made the james palota personally because he made a lot of money out of that era let's be honest here that was probably in terms of for what we dis defined as at the start as the american model that was perfectly what he wanted. Don't forget that in, in the U.S. they're not used to being that um, benefiting that much from winning anything. So th their their mindset is not 100% on that one from the sporting side. They're in that to make money. And Monchi, he 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 hires good players normally from the French league, but he sells them really good. So the ones you bought by, bought by Sabatini 
he sold them really well, uh, uh, you know, to on. So, and also bought a couple of them, a very interesting one. But otherwise, I fully agree with you on the side that Roma has little or nothing to show for it in terms of titles. So in that way, it has not been a positive uh, tenure from, um, from Palota ahead of the club. On the other way, you know, he, he, he got out of it what he wanted. Not for the fans. The fans didn't get what they wanted. But in this case, you know, he's the owner. So he's the one who, who's more worried uh, about getting his way. And that is very true. Also, if we analyze the purchases and the sales, like the top 10, the most expensive purchase and the most uh, paid player that, that, that left Roma, that really shows how the whole logic behind these 10 years was to make profit. Because out of the top 10 purchases, the only one that we also see in the top 10 sales is Kevin Strootman. And he was bought for 70.5 million euros and he left for 25. So it's not like, you know, an, an extreme amount of profit. But then we see very bad purchases. Patrick Schick for 42 millions, player that never really performed that well. Leonardo Spinazzola, 30 million. Stefan Zonzi, 26 and, and 650,000. Javier Pastore, Iturbe, Paul Lopez, who was very criticized this year as well. So these are the players that, that they bought. And, and to be honest, they were all underperforming. Feels like anytime they were trying to make the step up, they couldn't really because when they splashed out the cash for that one time, the player turned out being not that good. However, if you look at the sales, Alisson, 62.5, Salah, 42, Rajan Angolan, 38, Manolas, 36, Rudiger, 35, and so on and so forth. Players bought for very cheap, sold for a huge amount of money. How can a team be so good at identifying gems, but being so bad at buying top players? Well, it takes us a bit out of the, the, the president's topic, but most of the players that you mentioned there in that list of bad purchases that were very high were bought during the Monchi period. Most of them. It's a classic Monchi thing, you know. Let's be honest, this is someone who only worked at Sevilla where he needs to buy cheap and sell at a medium-high price. He's not, wor he's not used to having 30 million to spend on a, spend on a striker. He's not wor it's not his... Uh, it's not the kind of meat he looks at. He looks at the players from Dijon and maybe the ones from Basel maybe even a Freiburg and sees how he can potentially buy him for five, six million and maybe sell him on for 20, 25 million. So this is someone who's very used to buying cheap and selling high. Now he goes to Roma. President says, look, you need to sell high, but you also are able to buy medium high. That's not his, his, he's used to. He's not used to buying these kind of players and identifying talents that others have already seen. So that was for me, from the list, that was a clear standout. If you were to blame someone for the bad expensive purchases, I would blame Bonchi, but we already expected, if you think about it, that it wouldn't work. But he's also the one who said, you know, he also sold them for, Alisson is a tremendous goalkeeper, don't get me wrong. But he was sold. Now he's the second most expensive goalkeeper ever. But honestly, he's a really good one. But I was surprised when he was sold for 70 million euros. Yeah, that is very true. But then, you know, you should also consider why a president that wants to make the next step and wants to buy expensive player picks someone like Monchi. Stan, any thought? Man, I, you know, I, I remember Iturbe uh, screwing up my, my Fanta, Fanta football season, so I can never forget Pagota for that. But besides that, still, you know, I, on one hand, of course, those were very good deals, but, you know, selling Salah and Alisson after all that had, had been doing before, I'm not sure I would have appreciated that if I had been in a Roma supporter. And, uh, of course, you have to also consider the, the financial perspective. But this is what you get if your president uh, uh, wants your club to, to earn money, basically. Right, guys? 
at the end it's it's a job right they they you have the two versions as alex mentioned sometimes you have when the uh, presidents that see the team as a toy and invest an absurd amount of money just because they want you know to to enjoy seeing the team winning but most of presidents for them is an investment and it's also a personal revenue they really spend a lot of time behind the the club and and they also should you know i have a have a wage and have a profit based on that that's it's 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 a company at the end of the day a club but if we also look at what was one of the main action points in the oh the main points in the action list of palotta was definitely the stadium we are hearing about the roma stadium for very long time uh torder valle they had a project turn out that the project wasn't really feasible because they let's say weren't properly legally following the rules in order to get it right um and that slowed down the project and now it's in a stale uh when the club was sold was sold all together with the project of using tor del valle however no real step have happened yet in 10 years if a president starts saying i'm gonna bring this team from shambles to glory uh, i'm gonna create a new stadium and i'm gonna put roma in the top 10 clubs in europe and he ends up not winning a single title not even starting to build the stadium not and we're not saying like didn't build the stadium didn't build it well he didn't even start at the end of the day i think there's something going wrong and and again when i look at the amount of money that he sold the club for eight times more i'm like how oh like like uh, like i said the the idea is those assets when you see right now their their valuation you see a team like paris now being valued at 1 billion euros to be honest if if you see those evaluations of the clubs and what you're buying it's quite high but i agree with you let's be honest it doesn't be, they have no stadium if they had a stadium you, you know you're talking about an asset of 300 million euros so then that would already explain a lot of the evaluation i'm surprised that it, it is that high um nonetheless I think it honestly a team like Roma has a lot of upside both commercially it's an easy one to commercialize quite easy they have a very clean balance sheet they don't have you know absurd amount of of problems to solve there uh, comparing to a Milan for instance it's not like you're going to go home crying the first day that you arrive there because of of their assets it's it's a team that has um, a structure right now who's at least on the field quite interesting i think the manager is is an interesting manager that that is will be able to deliver something if he has the right support the the, the thing is in the end it was it a bad rain if you're going to say let's put the club on trial as our segment says yes well yeah they, they honestly, they, they should, they, they had a, a really bad tenure at the king. They re- arrived at nothing. I'm surprised with the evaluation, but they arrived at nothing. They have no stadium to prove. They have no titles. Albeit that being a bit difficult in Italy with such a strong Juventus, at least you could win one or two Coppa Italias in 10 years. Um, well, obviously, Champions League is, was never even uh, the, the the goal of Roma, even not even a close one, or reaching the semifinals that one year was already a surprise. Let's be honest. So I think in that sense, you are right, Marco. It's a surprise devaluation, and it was a failure of a tenure. Stefano, do you agree with uh, Alex's verdict? Or personally, well, you might have guessed that already from the framing that I gave to my question and and the way I explained this. But I think the really show that Palotta didn't manage the team well, uh, in my opinion. And, and there were major mistakes made over these 10 years. Hopefully for Roma fans, uh, it will be different now that Fred, Fred Klin is there. Uh, but, but let's see. Stefano, any thought? What is your verdict on, on Palotta and, and, and last 10 years of Roma? Well, Marco, I, I don't want to accuse you, but uh, I feel that you can't be the judge in this situation because you are a Lazio supporter. So uh, are you actually impartial or not? You got me red-handed there. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I agree with Alex, I think. Uh, it was a success in terms of investments and finding good players and then selling them at good prices. But uh, of course we have Juventus, which has been so, so strong and dominant in the past 10 years. But at least you have to challenge it, right? And uh, Napoli made it at least in challenging Juventus in the, in the Sarri years. But Roma never really made it. It was just the, you know, always going to, uh, to Champions League or always qualifying for that. But uh, they never even challenged the, the first position in the Italian Serie A. And of course, they had that, that uh, magic season in which they reached the, the Champions League semifinals and almost, um, almost managed to, to have an impressive comeback against Liverpool. But, uh, but then it was over. And uh, what's left of uh, Palotta's management? Uh, not that much. Uh, is he going to be remembered through the years? I, I doubt that. So, yeah, I, this is my verdict. Thank you. I, th I think we can close the case with this and the judge declares Pallotta as a not great uh, president for Roma. Yeah, well, not a surprising verdict from our side on this club on trial, uh, guessing that one of the judges might be a little biased, but let's not keep that in mind. Um, it, this, that was it from today's episode of the Euro Football Verdicts. Thank you so much, Marco, for being here with us. Thank you very much. And thanks to you, Steph. Thank you so much, guys. That was it from us, guys. Follow us in the next couple of weeks with some special content and our regular podcasts on Europe's most interesting content regarding football. That was it. Cheers, guys. Follow us on Instagram. Send us emails and questions on eurofootballverdicts at gmail.com and keep following us. Cheers. Bye-bye.